But uh, four years ago, we spoke on the whole topic of homosexuality because it's such a issue in our culture, and we want to address it again because you have asked to hear about it. Many of you are new with us and are wondering, so where, you know, where do we stand? What does God say about this subject? And especially as we hear more and more people who uh, call themselves Christians who say that they are gay as well, you know, can you be a Christian and be gay? And uh, I want us to be sensitive to this topic, and I also want to acknowledge the fact there may be some of you here this morning who are, uh, in, uh, who are gay and or lesbian, and I want you to know that while we may choose today to agree, to disagree with one another, I hope that uh, what we all hear will be heard through the filter of God's grace and God's love as well. And uh, I am uh, overjoyed that uh, we have someone who's going to address this issue who really has a, a, an understanding and can speak from experience. His name is Christopher Yuen, and uh, Christopher um, is a graduate of Moody uh, Bible College and also Wheaton Grad School, and now he's a professor back at Moody, and uh, he has a national speaking ministry, and I know that you're going to be blessed. Our other services were so blessed by his testimony and his teaching. So would you give a warm welcome to Christopher as he comes? Let me pray with you. Father, thank you so much, my brother in Christ, and for his journey. And, and I pray and ask that you would continue to keep him on this journey and bless his life. I thank you that uh, you have prepared him, Lord, to be used by you this morning. And we commit him now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Well, I was born and raised uh, not too far from here in the west suburbs of Chicago. Um, but it was a home that wasn't, it was not a Christian home. But my parents raised me with very traditional Chinese values. And so I know there's a lot of Chinese here in Naperville, so you may be very familiar with these Chinese values. First of all, obey your parents. Second, do well in school. You ever notice those Asian kids? They're always getting those A's. <laughs> Third thing, this is very important, you must practice piano. You see... I never fit in well with the other American boys because obviously I looked different. I acted different and, and, I, and I had different interests. You see, God had gifted <laughs> I know. <laughs> you never say that when I walk up here. God had given me the gifts of music, of sensitivity, and Satan, who can't take away those God-given gifts, can twist the perception of them, and I was viewed and ridiculed as being effeminate. The first time I remember having same-sex attractions was, at when it was when I was nine years old after I came across pornography at a friend's house. And at such a young age, I was confused and afraid of those feelings. Without any parental guidance on sexuality, those magazines gave me a distorted view of sex, and they soon became my master. So with pornography fueling my same-sex attractions, I continued having those feelings, but I kept them hidden through high school, college, and even the Marine Corps Reserves. Then when I started dental school, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky. I no longer kept it a secret, and I lived openly as a homosexual in the gay community. So then I decided to go home and break the news to my parents, and I told them, I am gay. This devastated my mother, who was not yet a Christian, and she even says that news of my death would have been easier than this. The timing could not have been any worse after years of living as non-Christians, after years of living as, after years of unresolved issues, my parents' marriage was a disaster, and they had actually begun the paperwork for divorce. 
My mother was literally at the end of a rope, and she found no more reason to live. And, then on, and on the next day, she had resolved to do the unthinkable. She was going to end her life. But praise God, God saved her through a small little booklet which shared with her the plan of salvation, that all of us are sinners. And yet, in spite of our sin, the God of the universe still loves us. And then God opened up the eyes of her heart to see that just as God can love her in spite of her sin, she can love me in spite of the fact that I was living as a homosexual. And so my mother surrendered her life to Christ, and within a few months, my father also surrendered his life to Christ. But I continued going down that path I had chosen. Spending most of my free time in the gay clubs, I went from relationship to relationship to relationship. And I also began to experiment with drugs. But without much money as a dental student, I supported my habit by selling drugs. And I sold to friends, classmates, and even a professor. You see, I thought I could live this double life of being a graduate student by day and promiscuous drug dealer by night. But four months before I was to receive my doctorate, the administration expelled me. So I moved down to the bright lights and big city of Atlanta, Georgia. And there I quickly took over the drug scene in the, in the gay community and I became a supplier to other dealers in over a dozen states. In addition, it was nothing for me to have multiple anonymous sexual encounters each and every day. According to the world... I had it all. I had money, fame, drugs, and sex. I had exchanged the truth of God for a lie and began worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator because in my world, I had become God. My parents had no idea that I was doing drugs or even selling drugs, but they knew my biggest need was to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So they tried to reach out to me with the love of Christ, but I wanted nothing to do with it. And so they, uh, they, they flew down to Atlanta to visit me one time. But after the second day, I kicked them out. And, you know, they weren't preaching at me, telling me what to do, or banging me over the head with the Bible. Just the fact that they had allowed God to transform their lives, that they radiated Christ, that in itself was offensive to me, and I had enough. And I told them to get out. But my dad, he wanted to give me something, and it was his very first Bible. It was all dog-eared, had the notes in the margin, highlights, underlines. And I told my dad, I don't want your Bible. Because I didn't even want him to think that I might read it. But my dad, he is quite persistent. My mom says he's a little stubborn sometimes. He left it on my kitchen counter anyway. But as soon as they left, I took his Bible and I threw it in the trash can. Because I wanted nothing to do with God and certainly I wanted nothing to do with the Bible. And after that visit, it was more than obvious to my parents that I was totally unreachable and completely hopeless. But my parents committed not to focus upon the hopelessness, but upon the promises of God. And along with over a hundred prayer warriors from church, from the Bible study fellowship group, many of you guys that even come here to this church prayed for me, interceded on my behalf. My mother prayed a very bold prayer, which was, Lord, do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. 
whatever it takes. That's a bold prayer for a mother to make. But she was desperate. And in her desperation, she fasted every Monday for seven years and once fasted 39 days on my behalf. She would literally spend hours each morning on her knees, reading her Bible, pouring her heart out before God, and praying and interceding on my behalf. She knew that it would take a miracle to bring this prodigal son to the Father. And a miracle is exactly what God did. This miracle came one day with a bang on my door. I opened up my front door, and on my front doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. <laughs> I just received a large shipment of drugs, not my largest, but they confiscated all my money and my drugs, and I was charged with a street value equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. And with that amount, I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. I had started with a bright future among society's finest in academia, and I found myself literally in the ditch among society's despised in Atlanta City Detention Center. So I was, as a last resort, I called home from jail, and I dreaded making that phone call as I imagined the earful that I was going to get on the other line. But my mother's first words were, are you okay? No condemnation. No berating words. Just words of unconditional love and grace. You see, Romans 2.4 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not God's punishment. It's not God's wrath. But it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And even on that miserable day, God was pouring out his irresistible grace and drawing me to himself through the words of my mother. Three days later, as I was walking around the cell block, and to be honest, I was trying to stay away from those criminals, because of course I didn't think I was a criminal. And uh, I passed by this garbage can, and I thought, this represents my life. I was from upper middle class suburb of Chicago. My dad has two doctorates. I was on my way to become a doctorate. I had it made. And now I found myself among common criminals. Trash. And with my head down, I was about to pass by that garbage can, but something on top of that trash caught my eye. I bent over, I picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. Took that New Testament back to my cell, and for the very first time, I opened up that good book. But to be honest, I certainly did not think this was the Word of God. And I did not think this was the answer to all my problems. I thought, you know, I've got an enormous amount of time on my hands, and I better pass it somehow, and this is the only book that I had. But as many of us know, what we have in our Bibles is not just ink on paper. What we have in our Bibles is the very breath of God. And it is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, able to cut through the hardest of hearts, exposing my sin and my rebellion. And it wasn't a pretty sight. And I thought things could not get any worse. I was wrong. A couple weeks later, 
I was calling in the nurse's office alone. So they handcuffed me, chained my hands around my waist, shackled my feet together. I shuffled into the nurse's office. She shut the door behind me, sat me down, and I knew immediately something was not right. She was uncomfortably struggling with her words, and she couldn't even give me eye contact. So she resigned to writing something on a piece of paper and slowly slid it across the desk to me. I looked down at this piece of paper, and I saw three letters and a symbol. It read HIV positive. The days after were dark and lonely. I was sentenced to six years, much better than ten years to life. But news of my HIV status was like a death sentence. One night as I was laying in my bed, I noticed in the metal bunk above me something scribbled. And it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, God was using the words penned by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation to tell me that regardless of who I was and what I had done in the past, he still had plans for me. I had no idea where this plan was going to take me, but God gave me enough faith, enough strength to get through that one day and then the next and the next. My transformation was gradual. I wish I could say I got down on my knees, said the sinner's prayer, and everything was perfect after that. And God was convicting me of my dependencies. The most obvious was drugs. But within a few months, he completely delivered me from that. But the last thing that I was holding on to was my sexuality. As I was reading scripture, I couldn't get around the fact that God loved me with an unconditional love. But I also came across some passages which seemed to condemn homosexuality. So I went to a prison chaplain and I asked him his opinion on this issue. And to my surprise, the prison chaplain actually told me that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. He went to his bookshelf, he got a book, and he said, here, this book explains that view. So with with much curiosity, I took that book in the hopes of finding biblical justification for homosexuality. I had that book in one hand and the Bible in the other. And from a purely human perspective, I had every reason in the world to accept what this book was claiming to justify the way I had been living. But God's indwelling Holy Spirit convicted me that those assertions from that book were a clear distortion of God, His Word, and His unmistakable condemnations against homosexual behavior. I couldn't even get through the first chapter of that book, and I gave it back to the chaplain. So I turned to the Bible alone. I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of Scripture looking for justification for homosexuality. I never found any. So I was at a turning point, and a decision had to be made. Either abandon God and His Word and live as a homosexual by allowing my feelings to dictate who I was. Or 
abandon homosexuality by liberating myself from my feelings and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. My decision was clear and obvious. I chose God. As the days and the months and the weeks of abstinence passed, I realized that my sexuality is not an inseparable aspect of who I am as a person. I'd always thought that God loves me unconditionally and he doesn't want me to change. But I realized that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. You see, my identity should never be defined by my feelings, by my sexuality. My identity is not gay or homosexual or even heterosexual for that matter. But my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. You see, God tells us, be holy for I am holy. I had always thought that the opposite of homosexuality was heterosexuality. But actually, the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. God was telling me, don't focus upon your sexuality, don't focus upon your feelings, but focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity. Because change is not the absence of struggles, but change is the freedom to choose holiness in the midst of our struggles. Because the ultimate issue is not what I'm struggling with. The ultimate issue is not my feelings or my sexuality, but the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God in total surrender and complete obedience. As I was living this life of surrender and of obedience, God began to reveal his plan for my life. And he called me to full-time ministry while I was in prison. And I realized that it didn't matter where I was, whether in prison or out of prison, because my calling on life would remain the same regardless of the location. And when I had that change of heart, God did another miracle. And he shortened my sentence from six years to three years, which is almost unheard of in the federal system. So so with only about a year left of my prison sentence, I knew if I was going to continue on in ministry after prison, I'd better learn more about the Bible than just prison religion. So I called home collect, and I told my parents of my interest to go to Bible college after prison, and I asked them to mail me an application to the only Bible college I had ever heard of, Moody Bible Institute. But then there was silence on the other line because I think they both dropped their phones. (laughs) The next day aired me the application. I quickly filled it out, did all the essays. I was so excited until I got to the point where they said I needed references from people who knew me as a Christian for at least one year. (laughs) I had some slim pickings in prison. But I was able to persuade a prison chaplain, a prison guard, and another prison inmate to write my references to Moody Bible Institute. So the greatest miracle of this whole thing is that Moody accepted me. I was released from prison in July of 2001, and I started the very next month. So imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question, what did you do this summer? (laughs) I graduated from Moody in 2005. I went on to Wheaton Graduate School, got my master's in exegesis, and then I'm working on my doctorate, uh, um, focusing on sexuality and celibacy. And God has such a sense of humor because I'm back at Moody teaching in the Bible department. So I went from prisoner to Professor, how about that for a resume? (laughs) But God, amen, but God has done far more abundantly beyond all that we have asked 
or thought. And my parents are here with me. They minister with us. And God has done far more abundantly than all that we have ever prayed for. So the question is, can you be a Christian and be gay? Can you be a Christian and be gay? Well, we need to know, I mean, what does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, I think we would all agree we don't, we don't hold to the same definition that the world might claim to Christ, what it means to be a Christian. I mean, if 70% or more of the U.S. say they're Christian, I mean, we realize that that's a different definition than we use. I mean, to be Christian means that you belong to Christ. To be a Christian means that you are saved. And with that definition, well, we know that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2.8. But also, it's not just a simple believing faith. It's a difficult faith. I mean, if we simply believe, well, the demons believe, and yet they shudder. So it's not a simple faith, but it's a faith that produces fruit. It's a faith that has evidence. I mean, Jesus Christ himself himself gives the perfect example of what it means to follow Christ. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. He must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, to be saved. So the question isn't so much, can you be a Christian and gay? But can you be a Christian and not surrender? Can you be a Christian and not surrender? Surrender and salvation are closely linked. Here I say salvation is, um, is not dependent upon our surrender, but surrender is evidence of our salvation. Salvation is not dependent upon our surrender, but surrender is evidence of our salvation. So can you be a Christian and gay? Well, I mean, in today's world, just the term gay has so many different definitions. I have friends who say that they're Christian and gay, and they're all over on the spectrum. A small minority of them say they're Christian and gay, but they hold to the correct interpretation of Scripture that says that this is not God's plan for them, and they have vowed a life of celibacy. But then for many others, say that they are gay Christian and believe it's okay to have homosexual sex. So can you be a gay Christian? Well, for those that say, I believe God has called me to celibacy and that being homosexual is, and, and embracing a gay identity or having homosexual sex is not God's best, I encourage them, keep fighting the fight. Keep pursuing Christ. Keep pursuing an identity, not in your sexuality, but an identity found in the Lord Jesus. But for those who embrace a gay identity, for those who... Um, are, think that homosexual sex is okay, I want to challenge them to not a simple, easy, sterile, and clean faith, but I want to challenge them to a hard and difficult faith that is marked by sweat, blood, sweat tears, and the blood of Jesus Christ. That is true faith. But saying that, we have to have discernment. Because this question is probably a question that maybe your neighbors would ask or some of your gay friends may ask you. 
And I think just as Jesus had discernment as he was answering the, his, the questions that people would ask him, he discerned who was asking the questions. Because as we read scripture, as we read the gospels, Jesus gave different answers, whether you're a disciple or whether you're the crowd, whether you're the, his, his um, follower, an apostle, or whether you're a Pharisee. And so in the same way, we need to discern when people ask these type of questions, are they really asking for information? Because if they are, then we can be free about what we say. But if they're asking simply to argue and they're not asking for information, we don't need to fall into their trap and begin to debate because there is no debate. And rather, what's more important is that they find Christ. And, and, and I, I hope that we would be more apt to try to win the soul rather than win an argument. But we need to discern and not feel like we have to get into an argument But also, we need to have grace and realize that we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. Some people are on different parts of the journey. But the important part of being on a journey is that we need to know our destination. And our destination needs to be Christ. Because if if you don't know what your destination is, you're not on a journey. (laughs) You're lost. So we need to have grace, but know our destination, and our destination needs to be Christ. So now that I have that question answered, that easy question answered, um, I thought we need to focus also on how should we, as the body of Christ, focus on responding to this issue in general. How do we respond to people who are LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered? And how do we minister to people that are in our midst that have homosexual feelings? Well, we need to respond, first of all, with conviction. I think this is so important that as Christians, when we evangelize, when we share Christ with others, this applies across the board. We need to come convicted, not with a holier-than-thou attitude, but realize our own brokenness, realize that our sin, our own anger, our own jealousy, our own gossiping, is not any worse or better than the sin of homosexuality. And that brokenness can lead people to Christ. So we must be convicted ourselves. Um, Second, we need to be consistent. We need to be consistent. um, And how how are we consistent? Well, for one, we need to be consistent when we're talking about relationships. And relationships, this applies so much to homosexuality because homosexuality we're always talking about homo- uh, relationships who I can have a relationship who I can love who I can be intimate with and you see for many we have this unbalanced view of relationships we have this unbalanced view of marriage and singleness because society tells us that marriage should be our goal marriage should be what everyone tries to attain And if you don't get that, well, I'm sorry, you're stuck with singleness. Singleness becomes a consolation prize. Singleness sometimes becomes a curse. And yet we see Paul talking about singleness and marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as being a gift. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. And that's why I'm I'm so happy that Pastor Dale will be talking about this issue, about singleness and marriage. So we need to be consistent about relationships, but consistent about when we talk about sexuality, because obviously we know that homosexuality is a sin, 
And so then we think, well, then heterosexuality, that's, that's the norm. Heterosexuality is what, what we should all pursue. But if we think about heterosexuality, that's a man-made term. Heterosexuality also encompasses um, lust. Heterosexuality also encompasses adultery, fornication. So our standard should not be heterosexuality, but our standard should be holy sexuality. And holy sexuality is very simply this. If you're married, complete and utter faithfulness to your spouse. And if you're single, complete and utter faithfulness through celibacy. So we need to be consistent in our uh, talk about relationships, consistent in our talk about sexuality. Um, But also we need to be compassionate, compassionate as we reach out to uh, our gay friends, our gay neighbors, our gay co-workers. And here's some things that we should not do or say. um, And I want to give those first before I say what we should do. Well, for one, we um, we should not uh, compare when we talk with our gay friends, compare them with murderers and, and, and pedophiles and, and stuff like that, even though that makes sense to us because we know that all sin is equal. It doesn't matter whether it's lying, cheating, or murder, or uh, rape. But when we communicate, that doesn't always help because in, in essence, they, you know, people always wonder, why is it that you're always com- you know, comparing us to murderers or pedophiles? Uh, so it, it's not helpful when we interact with our gay neighbors um, to compare them to... Uh, the other sins. Also, don't use the term lifestyle. Lifestyle when you talk with unbelievers or um, your gay friends, your gay neighbors, because lifestyle gives the impression that it's a choice. And really, I've never met anybody who has chosen to have homosexual feelings. Now, we know, obviously, we choose how we respond to those feelings. But it's best to not even talk about lifestyle or choice when you interact with them. And lastly, uh, we should um, not talk, use that phrase, love the sinner um, and hate the sin. Because even though that's how we should interact with them, that doesn't make sense to them. Because they, they don't understand, they can't separate who they are and what they do. Um, so these are things that you should not do. Then what should we do? Well, for one, we need to pray. We need to pray, 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 because many of them don't have a praying mother like I had. Many of these people have no one praying for them, whether it's a brother or sister or even a friend. Let us get on our knees, pray and fast that God would intercede on their behalf. We should also listen. Listen. Often when we try to share Christ, we go and, and we just start talking and opening our mouth. But sometimes we need to just listen. Because then they can, we can gain their trust. Then they can know that we really do care. Listening to their stories sometimes, you know, li- just listening to people's stories will just break your heart to hear what they've come from, their past, uh, their past and, and um, their families. Uh, so listen. Um, and don't be so quick to speak, but listen to their stories and get to know them. Be intentional. Reach out. Don't just wait for an opportunity to rise up. You make the opportunity. Take them out to coffee. Treat them to lunch or dinner. Uh, don't be shy. You know, I mean, Jesus was never shy. You know, people were always accusing him of eating with tax collectors and eating with prostitutes. We need to reach out um, to those around us. And then lastly, we need to be patient and persistent. I mean, as I think about my transformation and God turning me around, seven years is a short time. 
If you're interested in evangelism and you're not willing to go the long haul, I say don't even start. We need to be in it for the long haul. Evangelism is not just in and out, but it's for months, years, sometimes decades. I have friends who have been praying for their loved ones for 20, 30 years. And it's all about persistence, persevering. So we need to be convicted, consistent, compassionate, and lastly, complete. We need to be complete in our message as we interact uh, with our gay and lesbian friends. And why do I say complete and why do I leave this to the last point? Because often when we talk about homosexuality and we interact with other people, we simply say, well, the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin. And that's true. But then we end there. We stop there. I mean, it's as if sharing, it's as if going to someone and sharing them the four spiritual laws and just sticking to the first one or sticking to just one of them and saying, you're a sinner. I'm sorry you're going to hell. Sorry. That's not good news. That's not the complete gospel. The gospel is about transformation and redemption. The good news. What is the good news? Well, one of the passages that people always go to when it talks about homosexuality, condemning homosexuality, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, where it says, Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? It gives a whole list, including homosexuals. Many people stop, and they don't go to the next, past, next verse in verse 11, which shares the good news, which says, Such were some of you. Were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. That is good news. That's the complete message. It's about transformation. It's about redemption. So let's give that complete message as we interact on this issue of homosexuality and be redemptive. So how should we minister to those among us who struggle with homosexual feelings. There may be someone right now in your row who have not shared with anyone and have kept it a secret for all their life. And maybe just after this weekend, they feel the courage now to share. We need to thank them. Because imagine the, uh, the angst, the guilt that they felt just to open up and share this. Thank them that they trusted you enough to share this with them. Then we also need to encourage them that they are not alone in this. There are hundreds, thousands of people who have come out of homosexuality and are living a life of holiness. And let them know that they're, because many of them feel that they're all alone, no one can understand. And let them know that you will journey with them, though it may be difficult. Also, encourage them to pursue your identity in Christ. Don't put your identity in your sexuality or in your feeling, but place your identity in Christ. And lastly, emphasize community. Because as they feel all alone, they feel no one understands, help them to get in community, help them to get encouraged, because often this walk may be a difficult walk. Being a Christian is, is not always easy. That's why we need the body of Christ. Help them to be in community and help them to be in relationships. Um, as we close, uh, I will be up here at the front for some of you if you might have questions further. My parents will be here. Uh, my website's back there. If, you're, um, if, if maybe you want to interact with me, you can find my email there. You can text me. 
But can you be a Christian and be gay? The reality is if your life is still marked by sin, then the evidence of your faith is still lacking. But that should be a challenge to us, all of us, whether you have homosexual feelings or not. It should be a challenge to us to show the world what a life completely surrendered to, life, to, to Christ looks like. So let us pursue a life, a life of surrender and a life of holiness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the gift of life. We thank you for the perfect example of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave us love and compassion and who gave us the example of living that perfect life of holiness. And Father, I pray that as we go, that we would have just immense compassion for those in our community who are gay, who are lesbian, and that we would reach out to them with the love of Christ. And help us, Lord God, to embrace those here in our community who are struggling with homosexual feelings and help them to pursue this journey and help them to continue fighting the good fight. Father, we thank you so much and we ask this in the powerful and precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ.